we have a lot to do, brothers and sisters, right? If we all want to be in heaven and we want to meet each other there, we have some work to do. So we're going to talk about that today. Is it going to go on? Okay. All right. What's coming up here is the scripture, but it's one you'll recognize and I'll read it. And then you'll see it in a second. If it's not, then yeah, it's not there. Okay. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is what we refer to as the gospel commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Declare his glory among the nations, says in Psalms 96.3. So we have been given a work to do. This work started in 1905, the general conference session, the president at that time was A.G. Daniels, and he was a former missionary. And among the most mission-minded of all the GC presidents, he set out a strategic vision for worldwide mission. He called it the Great Second Advent Movement, a call to action. According to Wikipedia, there are 195 recognized countries in the world with an individual, no, with an additional 60 dependent areas and disputed territories. These are countries that aren't really countries and groups that aren't recognized by the UN. Seventh-day Adventists have established missions in 212 countries and areas. And that's amazing, absolutely amazing. So we, the work has begun. What is happening is the, the world population is growing faster than we can keep up with. But we have to try and we have to not look at all, you know, it may not happen in our lifetime, but we have to do what we can while it's our turn. We rejoice that we're able to name so many lands in which <clears throat> we have opened missions, but we deeply regret that in many of them our laborers are few. Today our church has our church uses more volunteers than ever before. The work has never stopped growing. The SDA church currently has approximately 15 million members spread over 200 countries around the globe. The church is well known for its excellence of health care, education, and human service activities. From its beginnings, the SDA church has stressed the importance of health care and, and education. In fact, the Adventist church is currently the second largest private school system in the world behind the Catholics. 
The church is also present in the form of hospitals, clinics around the globe. We currently have healthcare facilities in all the U.S. major cities and are constantly establishing new clinics and schools in various marginal areas around the world. <clears throat> the SDA church has approximately 1.5 million students enrolled over in over 7,200 schools, 168 hospitals, almost 450 clinics, 138 nursing homes, and 34, I left a word off. I'm, I like stats, so I'm, I'm listing statistics for you. And I think it is amazing what we have done. And what is a bit daunting is what there is left to do. But we can't be thinking of it like that. We have to do what we can where we are. We know that God works through human instruments. We must, above all, do as Jesus instructed before he ascended to heaven and be willing to go into all the world and to all nations. Ellen White wrote, we must work in prayer and love with faith and unwearied patience, hoping all things and believing all things, having the wisdom of the serpent and the meekness of the dove in order to win souls to Christ. We are not as a people sufficiently aroused to the short time in which we have to work. And we do not understand the magnitude of the work for the time. The night soon cometh in which no man can work. She says, I, de I deeply feel the necessity of making, of our making more thorough and earnest efforts to bring truths before the world. This was written over a hundred years ago. So what's different now? She states that we're not sufficiently aroused to do the work needed. We have made good progress. It's simply that the world is large. And this fact should only spur us to greater commitment. If we cannot go, <clears throat> then we are compelled to support. Financial support provided to any mission is worthwhile. Any mission. Um, we are going to hear about some today. We have many types of mission to consider. In Crestline, the Seventh-day Adventist Church here, we have opened a community food pantry to assist local families with um, food insecurity. We're also working toward finding a Bible worker who would help us grow our church and expand the ministries. Today, we will learn about four other missions that are of particular interest to those presenting. The first is Calexico Mission School. So that's the one I'm going to talk about. Each church, in, the, in case you don't know, I think some of you know what I'm going to tell you. <laughs> um, each Southern Cal Southeastern California Conference church is required to support an Adventist school. This is known as a constituent church support. The support requirement is based on tithe and membership and is paid directly to the school. We have chosen Calexico Mission School. When offerings are paid to church expense, a portion of that church expense goes to the school every month. 
You may also contribute directly, or you can go online to Adventist Giving, and there's a you can check a box there. So where's Calexico? Have any have any of you been there? Not all the way down. It's According to Wikipedia, Calexico is one of California's best-kept secrets. A delightful blend of American and Mexican cultures, Calexico's small-town lifestyle combined with convenient proximity to the metropolitan areas of Mexicali and San Diego make it a great place to live. The school's mission statement is educating the hand, the mind, and the heart. This school has approximately 300 students enrolled and teaches K through 12. 70% of the students who graduate here move on to four-year college to complete their education. Christian education is vital to the continuance of our faith because it instills in the youth the principles we all know and believe in while they're young so that that work can continue and they will do the same with their families. Some are very fortunate to be able to homeschool. When I was raising my children, I don't think I knew one homeschooler. I don't think I did. It is, COVID has changed a lot of things and some people already had that mindset, but COVID changed a lot of things. And our current state of the world and all of the things that are being taught in public schools have also given us a great opportunity in our Adventist schools because some of the very controversial to us teachings are not being taught in the Adventist schools. So our enrollment is up. So God has given us a great opportunity here. My own children, Cassandra and Clint, attended San Antonio Christian School in Ontario. Referring back to the scripture, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. After a week of prayer, which they, every school has this, uh, many churches do it as well, but uh, the school had a week of prayer and the pastor came every day and they had different activities and was very spiritual. They offered baptismal classes. So the ones who were interested in, in becoming baptized had the classes and it was a extra after school uh, teaching. The school brought a large above ground pool, swimming pool onto the campus and when the baptismal classes were complete, completed, those attending students were baptized there on the school grounds. They could have been baptized in the church. We had a nice baptistry, just like this one is, but they did at the school, and I thought that was 
very cool, and so did the kids. Both of my children were baptized there. That completes my little report on Calexico and the beginning presentation of mission. Our next presenter is Jamie. Okay, um, I get to tell you about Adventist World Radio. Um, I like stats too, but I don't have a whole lot of stats for you about AWR. Uh, but I can tell you AWR started in 1971 um, as the first radio station as part of the an outgrowth of the Adventist Mission Media and, and attempt to broadcast across the world. And since that time, it has uh, grown considerably. It, it is part of, I believe it's operated um, as part of the, the church structure, um, but managed independently with their own leadership. Um, Adventist World Radio, I guess it's probably more of a personal connection to Adventist World Radio that I have. Um, my late wife, Shalina, loved Adventist World Radio. I don't even remember why. Um, I think it was probably one of our first conversations when we got married that she said, oh, we want to support this ministry. And I don't think I ever really even asked why. I just know that she always liked it and wanted to. Um, whether it had been something she picked up as a student missionary is my feeling uh, because she was in Eastern Europe. But um, even when even when we were in medical school and um, living on a shoestring budget, uh, which I'll give you one example. We, our food budget was a hundred dollars a month, <laughs> and those were different times, but that was still a pretty, um, pretty, pretty good tight budget for. Uh, well, it was only the two of us, so that made it easier. Good thing we didn't have three kids. There's no way that would have been possible. Um, but we still gave to AWR even um, when that was our financial status. Um, and I guess what I've come to appreciate about AWR is they can do what we can't do in person um, with radio waves. So all of the border limitations, all of the politics, um, the radio waves kind of navigate that in a in a way that, that we would otherwise, most other um, mediums would be shut down. Um, for communicating about the good news and God's love. Uh, to give you an example, um, one of the biggest, probably the biggest, again, I don't know exactly, uh, radio station is in Guam, and the Guam radio station transmits to Asia, um, and they believe that 3.5 billion people can be reached by that one radio station. If you think about that, that's um, amazing. Right, almost half of the world reached by the transmission from one radio station, and and so that's just that's the work they do. They they are very intentional about where they target. Obviously, their programming is all about the good news about um, Jesus, and and one of their lines is from broadcast to baptism because they are intentional to really grow the the Adventist Church through their work. 
So I um, found a little video um, by the president of AWR that just gives a little, it's kind of an update. Um, they have been doing work in Ukraine, just um, even on the ground, despite the conflict. Um, but he also just kind of gives a nice short overview of what AWR is doing as well. So Jedi, you can go ahead and play that. Um, and that will conclude my report on AWR. Happy? I, I, Abby said she'd come and I could ask her a few questions. So, Abby, how old are you? Twelve. Come here so they can look, hear you. Twelve. Okay. And um, would you like to get married? No. No. Why not? Because I'm twelve. Because you're 12. Okay, that's a good answer. What? How would you like to marry a man who's 50 and has three wives and 10 children? I would hate it. You would hate it. Um, do you think your dad would make you do that? No. Even if he got five goats or three cows? No. No, I don't think he would either. Thank you. You can go back and sit down. Now, and um, some places in Africa, very young marriage for girls takes place. Uh, I'm wanting to tell you about a group of people called the Maasai. The Maasai live in Kenya and some also in Tanzania. Um, They're interesting people. They're very nice people. I like them a lot. But uh, they marry their girls off very young. And Abby, at 12, they'd think you were kind of late, really. Some girls marry at nine or even eight. Yes. They marry, they didn't used to marry that young. They used to marry a little bit older, like 14, maybe, maybe 15. But there was a law passed in Kenya. And the law said you can't marry till you're 18. So the Messiah are used to doing things by their old ways and they don't change easily. And they uh, therefore decided, well, we can break the law and we'll just marry our girls off younger and nobody would think that that would be a problem and therefore we won't go to jail for doing that. Now, there are people who are trying to change a situation. One of them is an Adventist lady named Jan Latcha. She uh, has a, a home. Her headquarters are in Spokane, Washington, and she spends most of her time in the United States trying to raise money. But she has a home in Africa, in Kenya, not too far from the Maasai border, and. Uh, near the Maasai Mara that's a, uh, like a national park where there's many animals there you, people go visit. Now, what is her home like? She has, uh, it's a building 
with uh, bunk beds. And there's different rooms for different ages of girls. There's about 70 girls. Now, there's other people who are trying to do the same thing. She does this from an Adventist point of view. She also has um, lay pastors, probably about 20. And many people are being baptized in that part of Kenya. Um, during the pandemic, there was a great deal of problems. It was very, very hard. There are many widows among the Maasai. Um, if a man is quite old and has a number of wives when he passes on, why then his wives and children have a difficult time getting along, having enough able to buy food or raise food. And so during the pandemic, everything was closed, just like it was here. The markets were all closed. Women who went and worked in markets to raise money to feed their children could not do that anymore. During this time, her home, the Maasai Development Project Educational Center, um, was still operating, but the schools were not operating. So the girls who went, older girls who went to a boarding school or went to a university all came back. And the younger girls who went to a school nearby, they couldn't go to school. And during this time, the government offered them rice. The government had never given them any food before. So they were recognized as the guardians of the girls who lived there. And they talked to the girls and they said, there's a lot of people here who don't have enough food. The widows from our own church don't have enough food. They've tried to bring us their children because they can't feed them. And we can't have them come in because it's, the law that nobody can go in and nobody can go out. There was only one person who was allowed to do this by their local government. And they talked to the girls and they said, well, we think we could, we have lots of food. We can eat smaller amounts and then we can have some to give to the people who live around us. And the girls all said, yes, I think this is what God wants us to do. And then a day or so later, the man who was in charge received a phone call. And he said, well, we want to give you um, 300 kilos of rice. That's 660 pounds of rice. And, well, of course, they said yes. So some trucks came. They had the rice there. And the girls themselves said to the man in charge, we want to share this with the people who live around us, with the people who are hungry. And well, of course they decided to do that. They bought some small bags that would hold five kilos. That's about 11 pounds. And he had a motorcycle and he took his motorcycle and he went around to the women. They started out with women from the local church. Then they started out with other neighbors and more people who lived in the area. And then, a few weeks later, someone gave them 500 kilos. 
That's 1,100 pounds. This is a lot of rice. Besides that, in the United States, they were raising money and they were able to buy corn to give to people too. So they were feeding like, in a, in a month's time, they were feeding 700 families, a great many people. And these girls themselves were willing to share their food, wanted to share their food, everything they could do to help. Now, this is a situation that isn't anything like what we have in the United States. And it's a place where young girls are able to go to school. They're able to become a nurse or a teacher or they're able to do a variety of things that they never could have done otherwise. And they also are learning about Jesus. And this project is a very good way of helping people in a country that's far away that has great problems. Now, if you want to help them, you can look on the internet. It's a very easy thing to find. You look under the number 4mdp.org. I'll say that again. The number 4mdp.org. And if you want to, you could sponsor a child there. Or you could make a, a gift that, so they can preach the gospel to people in Kenya of the Maasai people. Uh, it's a great opportunity. Please have a. Well, what I'm going to share with you is information about an organization. That's called Voice of the Martyrs. This is a Christian organization, and they give information and help all over the world where Christians are being killed, are being martyred. It's not, it's a Christian organization. It's not an Adventist organization. But they have a lot of information that they share. This is one of them. These are some of the major countries where people are killed. And then these are some of the miners, the miners. But there are a lot of people all over the world that are being killed because they are Christians. One of the projects they had not too long ago is 300,000 Bibles for Iran. They had 150,000, and then they had a program to raise another 150,000. 
Now, this is in Iran. These are Bibles to go to Iran. If you know Iran is Muslim, and it is very much anti-Christian, but there are people who want them. And what does it say here? The challenge is our help. Get God's word into the hands of Iranian Christians. We may not even think there would be that kind of a need. This ad that they had says, help smuggle 300,000 Bibles into Iran. Uh -huh. But Voice of the Martyrs is working with people all over. You can join for free. They'll send you a monthly flyer uh, called Voice of the Martyrs. They also sent me when I first joined them the, the prayer guide, which gives countries all over the world that have major problems that are being persecuted and stories about people who are going through this. And I'd like to share with you a part of a, of the uh, from the president of the organization, and he wrote on how we love our enemies. Now this is head of Voice of the Martyrs. Some have rejected Christ's command to love our enemies because they have misinterpreted it to mean that we must be nice to people who intend to harm us. But being kind to lost people in any way that leaves them lost is the opposite to loving them. We ultimately obey Christ's command to pray for those who persecute us by praying for their salvation. And then we ultimately obey his command to love our enemies by bringing them the only truth that can set them free. Our persecuted Christian family members are showing us the way. We may be encouraged to follow in their footsteps. The magazine gives many, many stories about those who have lost husbands who have been killed because they were Christian and the, what their wives and their wives and families have gone through day by day and how Many, many, many of them hold no hatred or anxious against those who killed their husbands or killed part of their families because they love them. So this gives us something that we may not have been aware of, of what is going on around our world in thousands and thousands of cases. I get 
in my email almost every day an email from Voice of the Martyrs. And they tell stories about what is going on, what is happening. And it seems like it is growing more and more. I'd like to share with you one that, an email that I got just the other day was August 8th. And it says there were 13 Christians released from prison. It names the country that they were released in. I'll spell it for you because I don't know how to pronounce it. E-R-I-T-R-E-A-N. On July 22, I sent an email asking you to pray for two Christian pastors spending their 7,000th day in prison and to demand that the government release them and hundreds of others in prison Christians. In the days after that email more went out, more than 10,000 people added their names to the list of those who pastors as well as other imprisoned Christians. On the website, we provided information about sending an email or fax to the embassy on behalf of our brothers and sisters in that country. I don't know how many emails and faxes were sent, but some readers told us their emails, to, sent, told us their emails to the embassy we're bouncing back, came back to them. Perhaps embassy staff turned off their email server to stop the deluge of email from concerned Christians. Just six days after sending the email, we received word Christian contacts in this country that 13 Christian prisoners had been set free. These six men and seven women had been in prison for 10 years. I'm saddened that the pastors were not among those who were released. We continue to pray that they will be freed from their prison cells soon, perhaps even as Peter was set free in Acts 12. So you may be interested in getting this information about the voice of the, of the martyrs, those that are killed, and seems like it is, it is expanding day by day. I'm gonna leave three of the monthly, they send out a monthly uh, newsletter I'll leave three of them back there if you're interested in looking at them. But it costs nothing to join. They like our support, of course. And I believe that they are taking a very, very strong part in what's going on. And I don't think we hear too much about how many people are losing their lives 
because they're in Christians in so many Christians, so many countries. God's people are suffering. And many of them, as I read the stories, and many of them, as they have suffered, their families have taken up, not because they're trying to get back at who's doing this, but to try to show them the love of God. So day by day, we can think about the voice of the martyrs who are helping those all over the world who are being persecuted and being killed. And until Shalina had and Jamie had been getting this for years, I believe, and uh, to where I first heard about it, found out about it. And also, I don't know if very many of you know Elder Conrad Vine, but he has highly recommended the voice of the martyrs as doing something that I think all of us can be involved in, praying for these people in different parts of the world. Thank you. Jesus said, I have sheep in other folds. I think that's the quote. And uh, some of these fall into that category. We belong to an organized church, but there's lots of believers. And to understand that these kind of persecutions are happening is very, whether it's children or the just believers, is so shocking. We don't live that way in the United States. And so to hear about it and understand that we have an opportunity to help, I think, is good. I, I hope that you learned something today and we're inspired in some way. This isn't a, a, a request for funds at all. It's just information that you can take and share and have knowledge yourself. So if there's a time when you're looking for a way to assist financially, you can. I thank all the presenters today. It was wonderful. Um, we, this is a great little church that supports each other. And um, we sort of had an open weekend, open Sabbath, and everybody said, I'll help, and that's great. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that you brought these stories, all of these stories to us today because you wanted us to hear them. I believe that your work is continuing far and wide and we have our part to do and we are willing to do what we can and we ask for your blessing regarding all of these things so that we will know what part we can play whether it's in our local church with our food pantry and bible worker or if it's across the seas this world is huge, and you understand all the needs. Please help us to understand, too. We ask for your blessing on each member or each person present today. 